Well, good morning. Let's just bow our heads in prayer, shall we, before we start? Our dear Lord and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truths contained in it. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your teaching. May your Holy Spirit dwell in us and bring us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, over the past couple of weeks, I've got to remember to click this thing, aren't I? For you. <laughs> we'll stay with that for the moment. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at Paul's letter to Titus. Now, Titus had travelled with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. He was a very trusted minister and a faithful servant of the gospel. When Paul reached Crete, he only stayed a relatively short time, but he left Titus to continue the work of planting churches and building up the new Christian believers there. However, the work in Crete presented numerous challenges. In New Testament times, life in Crete had sunk to a, a very low moral level. The dishonesty, gluttony and laziness of its inhabitants were proverbial, as Paul noted in chapter 1. And Paul wrote this letter to Titus some time down the track and he did it to affirm Titus's role and his authority in the church and to provide guidelines in meeting opposition from the false teachers who seemed to pop up all over the place. But Paul didn't leave it there. He gave Titus some practical instructions about living and functioning as Christians in community. In chapter 2, Paul gave some practical advice to Titus concerning his ministry to various groups of people within the church. Do you remember the older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and also slaves? But basically summarising, what Stuart mentioned last week, was for these people to be self-controlled, to be sober or temperate, not gossips or slanderers, and to be prepared to teach the truth about Jesus. And also, importantly, to live as examples to other believers and as witnesses to the wider community. And to be worthy of respect and trust. And then in verses 11 to 14 of chapter 2, which is the passage we're just going to focus on this morning, Paul presents the doctrinal foundation of his practical instructions and provides basically the fundamental spiritual reason for believers to live their lives this way. Let's just have a look at this passage again. Hopefully this is going to come up. Ah, yes. Wonders of modern technology. For the grace of God, he writes, has appeared that offers salvation to all people our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So starting, what is grace? What is grace? Well, the Bible teaches that God was, is, and always will be a God of grace. A God who gives undeserved favour. And God's undeserved favour brought salvation to a lost mankind, a lost humanity. Because people, we cannot save ourselves. 
this salvation was not discovered. It appeared visibly in Jesus. God's saving grace was demonstrated in Jesus' lowly birth, in his gracious words and his compassionate deeds. And above all, amazingly, above all by his atoning death on the cross. Jesus was, as the Apostle John describes him, full of grace. Jesus' coming was the revelation or the appearance of God's saving grace. A grace that offers the hope of salvation to all people, even to the slaves mentioned in verse 9. Jesus willingly suffered the punishment for our sins and our disobedience and our rebellion against God in order to redeem us or buy us back from the consequences of sin, which are spending eternity in hell, suffering. What Jesus' death has achieved is our eternal salvation or life in heaven with him in the very presence of God forever and ever and ever for eternity. And this is our sure and certain hope for the future. It's God's promise to us. And God fulfills his promises. And all this is the result of placing our faith in him and him alone. What's more, all this will come to fulfilment when Jesus returns as he's promised to do. This is all the grace of God, the great gift of God to us. Something that is given freely, though, let me say, it came at a great cost to God himself. It's not something we deserve, it's not something we earn, or it's not something we can work for. And what is more, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, as um, Paul tells us in Ephesians, 1, Ephesians chapter 1, we are given the Holy Spirit to live within us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It is just more of God's undeserved, unmerited favour or grace. So in practice... What should our response to God's grace be? How do we respond? Paul says that God's grace teaches us to move ethically in two directions. First, negatively, God's people must say no. Listen, an emphatic no to ungodliness and worldly possessions. Passions, sorry. Worldly possessions too, for that matter. And the reason they, we, are to give up such living He says in verse 14, it's because Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. That's a response of love, of gratitude, of thanks for all that Jesus has done for us. And then second, positively, we must live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. It's in verse 12 of Titus 2. Because... Jumping to verse 14, it says that Christ wants to purify for himself. Let's see if we can get that up on the screen. That's not going to happen. 
Ah, there we go. Sorry. Should have clicked that before. <laughs> it says God wants to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Our response to grace is that now we want to do what pleases Jesus. We want to look like a member of his family, a member that he has adopted us into because we are glad, we're excited to be called God's own, one of his children, one of his very precious loved children. And so grace disciplines us to renounce our old life and to live a new life, to turn from ungodliness to godliness, from self-centeredness to self-control, from the world's devious ways to fair dealing with each other. And it was for this purpose that the appearance of God's grace in Jesus took place. It is not only that grace makes good works possible, enabling us to do them, but that grace, grace makes them necessary. It challenges us to live accordingly obeying God's will and commands. And notice the emphasis there is on the necessity, not the mere possibility of doing good works. Okay, you can relax a little bit now. That's the theory of the theology. I could sit down at that point. That sort of explains the uh, uh, five verses there in Titus 2. But what I want to look at today is just how grace plays out in our lives and how it changes us or transforms us. So let me tell you a story to help our thinking. It's a story about Niccolo Paganini. Did I get that right, Nelson? <laughs> Niccolo Paganini. Um, there's a, I'm not just, uh, as a, an aside, say, there's a few versions of this story, but the, the thrust, you'll get the drift of it. So let's just go. Niccolo Paganini, as you can see, was a very gifted violinist. He was born in Italy in 1782, but he led a fairly extravagant lifestyle. He was, and he was also a very flamboyant performer. One night he was playing before a packed house surrounded by a full orchestra. During the performance, he started to play a violin concerto with the orchestra accompanying him. When one, as he was playing, one of his spring strings snapped broke. Paganini continued playing with the remaining three strings and then a second string snapped. But again relying on his genius, he continued to play the piece on the remaining two strings. At that point the unthinkable happened and a third string snapped. Three strings dangled from his instrument. But Paganini was so good that he continued to play on just one string. At the end of his performance, the audience stood and applauded until their hands were numb. So incredible and masterful was his playing. Never thinking to ask for an encore, the Italian audience sat down. But Paganini then stepped to the front of the stage, he held his instrument right up in the air and announced Paganini and one string, whereupon he began to play 
the encore, backed by the orchestra. Paganini made music that day out of just one string. And he did that in a way that most people could never, ever dream of. Even if they had four strings in their instrument. You know, I think sometimes we tend to focus too much on the strings that dangle from our lives. We think about the things that go wrong and we allow them to shape how we do life, how we behave, how we act. They can be small things like the car not starting when you're late for an appointment. Someone messing up at work so you can't get your job done properly. Having, you take, take, having to take your kids to sports practice when you're sick and just really feeling not up to it. Or when your teenager comes home late. Or it may be big things, things that are much worse, like a divorce that you didn't want to happen, the loss of work, or the death of someone you love. These are the things we don't have a choice about the strings we can't control. But we do have one string left. We will always have one string left. And God always makes sure that we have that one string. So how do we play a symphony on one string like Paganini? And this is where God's transforming grace comes in. How can we be transformed by grace? The first step is to change the way we think. In Philippians 2.5 it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. How can we have an attitude like that of Christ? Well, let's jump back a little further into Romans chapter 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In other words, don't think and behave like the people of this world, but be changed by a new way of thinking. Then you'll be able to decide what God wants of you. You will know what is good and what is pleasing to him. And this is the first step in being transformed by God's grace. You know, being transformed, it's, just, it's like the metamorphosis that occurs when a caterpillar enters, spins a cocoon and then later on emerges as a beautiful butterfly. We are metamorphosed by God's grace, kind of like stepping into the cocoon of God's grace and being changed or transformed. And this is reflected then in our attitude which is in turn expressed in our behaviour. And you know, our attitude has a great deal to do with what we put in. It's determined by the thoughts we think. Yeah. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know, it's like putting cheap petrol in a high performance engine you can do it but the engine won't perform as well as it was designed to sometimes we put things into our life that are like cheap fuel the thoughts we think for example 
If I were to fill a glass to the brim with Coke and then I bumped the glass, what would happen? You can wake up and tell me at this point. Yeah, it spills. It spills. And what would come out? Coke would come out. Exactly. Orange juice or water or milk wouldn't come out. No. If I bump the glass with Coke in it, Coke's going to come out. So let's push the question, what happens when you get bumped? What happens when I get bumped? What happens when I'm sitting in traffic? When I need to be somewhere and the inevitable happens and, the strings that, and then the strings start to dangle from my life. When I get bumped, what comes out? The answer is, is what went in. It's the thoughts we think. So how do we change our thinking? Well, in Philippians 4, 9, 4 verses 8 and 9, it says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does he say to do? Think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, says Paul, or seen in me, put it into practice. You see, it's a great thing being a Christian because God has placed his Holy Spirit within us. And so we can ask him every day to shape our thinking, to remind us constantly of God's love for us and his presence with us. So read good books, especially read the Bible. Monitor what you allow into your TV viewing of the movies you watch. Constantly seek God's viewpoint, his way of thinking. And when you set your mind on this, the Holy Spirit within you will transform you. Now the second way to be transformed by grace is to focus on others. And uh, again in Philippians 2 it says, Be in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to the, but each of you to the interests of others. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of other people. Now Stuart touched on this a little bit last week, because our society, our world tells us something different. Who's the most important person in the world, says all the ads. Me. We focus on us, ourselves, my problems, my opportunities, my challenges, my successes. And we narrow the focus. But God says, hey, look to others. Make the choice to focus on other people. And how do you do that? Well, it can be simply by asking people about themselves. And as you talk to people and show that you're genuinely, seriously interested in them, you will find that they will share their needs or their concerns. You will find that you are then able to pray for them meaningfully, intentionally, and perhaps even be able to help them in practical ways. Some people are able to volunteer for um, things like Meals and Wheels, or for the Red Cross. Another good way to focus on others is to sponsor a child in a developing country. 
Some time ago, Kathy and I chose to sponsor two boys in Uganda through Compassion International. And I'll just put a plug in for Compassion Sunday next week. Over the past seven years, we've got to know these guys. I've got pictures of them. This guy's name's Moses. He's the one on the left. Not the funny dude in the shirt in the middle. (laughs) That's his grandmother. And... uh, uh, Grandmother of the same age from another country on the uh, right-hand side there. They live in a small farm, which is really only accessible by serious four-wheel drive to get there. Uh, Moses' parents died quite some time ago, and his grandmother supports him in all these years. We've been able to send him to school, and it's made a significant difference to his life. He's just about to finish school and uh, start a trade now. Our other boy, his name's Stuart. Yes, we have a Stuart in Uganda. (laughs) He's standing outside his house there with his mum and his little brother. We actually uh, kidnapped him from school that way. That day he's in his school uniform. And he's growing up into a very capable and responsible young man. It costs us $48 a month to support these guys, each of them. And over the past seven years, we've watched and prayed as the money we provided has enabled them to go to school, to get an education, so they can get a better job when they uh, finish and actually break the cycle of poverty that their families have lived in to this point. As you can see, we've met them both. We've actually met them three or four times now. And it's wonderful to see the progress they've made and the impact we have made on them and their families. And you know, just the knowledge that someone on the other side of the world cares and has taken an interest in these kids can have a significant difference in their lives. The Bible says we need to invest in others. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We need to choose to focus on others. Now the third way to be transformed by grace is to push through our quitting points. What's a quitting point? You know, athletes like Stuart push themselves so hard sometimes that they can hit a wall. Their legs feel like rubber. True, isn't it, mate? (laughs) You've done it. (laughs) And they find that they just can't go any further. They can't take another step. That's a physical quitting point. But maybe it worked. Things are starting to overwhelm you. You're dizzy from all the work that you have to do and your boss comes along and gives you yet one more assignment to do. You're at a vocational quitting point. Or perhaps you find yourself in an argument with your spouse for the ninth time over the same issue. And then one of you says the magic words that send the other person bolting from the room. And you find yourself at a marital quitting point. Maybe you find yourself up at midnight and your teenager, who was supposed to be home at 10.30, is yet to arrive. And when they walk in, you ask them where they've been for the last hour and a half or two hours. And they announce to you that it's none of your business. You might find yourself at a parental quitting point. And maybe you're not in a good place with God at this point. 
You've had some lousy times and you feel God has abandoned you, abandoned you and he's just not interested in you anymore. And you find yourself at a spiritual quitting point. You know, honestly, it is much easier to quit something than to continue. It's easier to walk out of a room than to stay and resolve a conflict. It's easy to skip church and enjoy a day at the beach or in the mountains. It's easy to play than to practice. It's easy to watch TV after a long day at work than spend time with your family or your kids. It's easier to do what we want rather than what God wants. I'd like to share a a true story of a little girl who was born to a single mum. And the mum struggled with addiction and emotional problems. There was no father around as the little girl grew up. And that little girl was left for weeks at a time with friends or relatives or just random people. While her mother went off to no one knew where. The little girl suffered abuse from neglect. Her mother moved around a lot. and could only hold down jobs for short periods of time. Food was often short and the mother often used the little girl to busk for money on the streets. Men came and went and the little girl often witnessed the abuse her mother suffered from some of the guys she associated with. The welfare authorities were aware of the situation fairly early and had the girl placed with various foster carers for periods of time to allow her mother to detox or to get well. But there were even a couple of times that the mother absconded with the little girl following an access visit and the police had to be called to search for her. When she was eight years old, she was taken from her mother and made a ward of the state and placed in permanent foster care. It was during that that year that her mother died of a drug overdose. She moved into yet another foster family, but that broke down and she found herself living in a children's refuge on her 10th birthday. Yet another family agreed to foster her. They already had three older children, but they felt they had room for one more child and that they could make a difference in just another child's life. They felt they had the capacity to do that. And so that family committed themselves to love and care for that little girl as one of their own. There were many challenges and a great deal of prayer, care and love went into that child. That family showed their commitment by formally adopting the little girl just after she had turned 12 years old. However, the later teenage years were an incredible struggle. She looked for a time to be heading down the same path that her mother had followed. It was a time of pain and rejection that the couple felt, and the couple felt like giving up and just letting go. This was just plain too difficult. But they and many of their friends prayed during this time. And that time lasted for several years. They struggled to believe that God had his hand on this little girl's life. But they held on to the knowledge that he had a plan and a purpose for her life. And they pushed through, pushed through that quitting point when it felt like their daughter was lost 
but they continue to show unconditional love with God's strength. Towards the end of this time, she met a young man of Christian parents. And this young man was also coming through his own time of rebellion. Later, they both committed their lives to Jesus. And they now regularly attend church and a Bible study each week. She is now engaged and will be married next March here at New Life Church. And I'm proud to say she is my beloved daughter. You know, there were times when we were down to just one string. And I confess we tended to focus on the strings that dangled from our lives when we only had one string left. But we had to play that string with all our heart. You know, it's through the struggles of life that God gets our attention. But let me tell you, God doesn't ever completely let us go. It's like he has his hand on the brake in our lives. And although we can't see it sometimes, he is there applying the brake just at the right time. And that is the way God has chosen to deal with us. The Bible says we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character. Charge through your quitting points. The fourth and final way to be transformed by grace is to chart a course for growth. The Bible says in Philippians 3.13, I do not consider myself... Have I got that? Should be there. There I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the first thing we can do is to read and study God's word. So, and, and by doing that, we can see our life and our problems in light of what God says. Better yet, try memorizing God's word. Put it in your heart. Because in Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Remember, what goes in comes out when you're bumped. The second thing to do is to personalize it. Personalize scripture verses and change the pronouns around a little bit. You can do that. Why should I be afraid when the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Sure, it's up there. Nope, okay. You can personalise that. Just jump back a little. You can personalise that verse. Why should I be afraid when the Bible says God did not give me a spirit that makes me afraid, but he gives me a spirit of power and love and self-control. God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us in this transformation, this grace transformation. We're not expected to do all this on our own. We may be left with just one string. But that string is the power and strength of God's Holy Spirit working within us and through us to fulfill 
his purposes for our lives. And remember, God will never, ever, ever let us go. And the last thing we can do to chart a course for growth is to evaluate life situations as they arise, as they come in light of what God's word says. God's word says that his word is a light unto our feet that lights a path in front of us. By putting God's word in our hearts, when we get bumped, when problems arise, we have a clear focus. I think you'd agree that with all the things that come into our life, that we have choices to make. However, we should be excited about what's going on. Even when we're down to one string, we should be excited like Paganini and play that one string with all our potential, all our God-given potential. And today you might find yourself down to that one string. That's okay. Play it. It's your choice to play it. Allow yourself to be transformed by God's grace. May we pray. Lord, broken strings hit us sometimes and they hit us hard. Sometimes they drip down on us, sometimes they come like a torrent and we can't seem to find ourselves in the wake of the storm. Heavenly Father, I pray that for those of us who have come down to one string, that we'd be able to focus on that one string and not the broken ones that dangle from our life. Help us to realise that you are in control. Help us to realise that you're much more interested in our character than our comfort. Help us to realise that we have at least one string and that we ought to play it to the best of our ability through your transforming grace. And Lord, as we step out today in this thing we call the great adventure of life, we pray that you would impact our lives, touch our lives, and be with us as we go through this week, being changed, transformed, to be like you. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.